Mr. Ball, he will around here is treated like a god. I mean, I'll never find out what he could really do. I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Hopefully you're listening to us on keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. Uh, we have close to 150 interviews on there. Kent Benson, Rick Mount, Jimmy Rail, uh, Dick and Tom Van Arsdale. I mean, go through everything that's on there. Download, listen at your convenience. Um, and that's keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. Uh, today's show, our guest is Ed McKee, and Ed uh, was a, um, a St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, Missouri native, a uh, Rockhurst uh, uh, standout. Uh, he was in the first draft class of the Indiana Pacers in 1967. Uh, was also a the sports information director for about nine years at Indiana State University, which is my alma mater. I graduated from Indiana State University with a history degree, hence uh, all of my work on research and uh, the passion and love for the game. Um, Ed, thank you so much. Ta- thanks, thank you so much for taking some time and uh, out of your schedule. I know you're pretty busy to help keep the nostalgia alive and talk about uh, uh, your career and uh, your life in basketball. Well, thank you, Billy. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm, I'm delighted to uh, get acquainted here, not only by phone, but to share uh, some thoughts from uh, years gone by. Uh, so who introduced you to the game of basketball? Uh, I I would say that uh, all the you know, days back in the day, uh, kids just got together and played. You know, there was no real super organized uh, sports until you got into the latter years of grammar school. But uh, it was a combination of playing ball with the neighbor, the guys, and uh, the infancy of the NBA when uh, every Saturday uh, there would be a ball game on. And usually uh, in basketball, the Celtics would be one team. Possibly uh, their adversarial team at that time was the St. Louis Hawks. Uh, which was my hometown team, and I, I followed uh, the pros with Bob Pettit and Cliff Hagan, and certainly with the with the Celtics with Bill Russell and Sam Jones and Casey Jones and Bob Cousy, um, and then my hometown team in collegiate basketball was the St. Louis University Billikens, and the uh, announcer for the games in the winter time was Harry Carey, who was you know the Cardinals baseball announcer. And he really made uh, collegiate basketball and the Billikens uh, the best thing in the world. In those days, St. Louis U was a proud member of the Missouri Valley Conference. And in that conference, you had Oscar Robertson from the University of Cincinnati and the Bradley Braves and the Wichita Shockers and uh, Louisville Cardinals. It was a great, great conference back then. It's still a very good conference, but. Um, the Missouri Valley was the best, and Harry Carey made it come to life. Ed, you know, living in Indiana <coughs> for as long as you did, what what was what was basketball like in Missouri? And tell us, uh, compare it to uh, basketball in Indiana, and 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 tell us about your 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 high school basketball career in St. Louis. Well, uh, you divide that into two two things at least. Uh, first of all, Missouri 
had good players. They had some some very good players, some great players. Uh, one of the best in my time was Bill Bradley. Uh, St. Louis and Kansas City primarily were the you know the towns that produced good basketball, but. It was like it's like apples and oranges in the sense that there's good basketball in Missouri, some great players. Indiana was a whole step forward. With uh, uh, again, I can remember you mentioned Jimmy Rail a while ago. I can remember the Saturday Big Ten game of the week came on in St. Louis. Uh, I guess primarily because the University of Illinois being in Champaign-Urbana, but we got Big Ten basketball, and you could see. Uh, um, not only Indiana and Purdue, but you know, you knew about how great the programs were in the Big Ten, and uh, the Indiana high school basketball tournament was above and beyond what anything Missouri or Illinois could put together. And so, uh, you know, the Illinois and um, Indiana programs, especially Indiana with the, the class, the one class system, everybody got that shot at the championship, which in Missouri, it was uh, at that point the uh, the the L for the large schools, the M for the medium schools, and S for the small schools. It was three three classes. Um, in regards to my uh, high school career, uh, really not much to say other than uh, I went out for the uh, high school. I went out for the freshman team. I got cut. Uh, went out for the JV team or the B team my sophomore year and it got cut. Went out for the varsity my junior year. Uh, got cut from that. I, I will amend that by saying our, our school won the state championship uh, my freshman and my sophomore year. So we did have a very good program. So it comes to my senior year of high school and uh, I had played some what we call CYC, Catholic Youth Council or CYO Catholic Youth Organization just to kind of improve my skills and uh, came out for my senior year of high school and and uh, came down to myself or another guy to make the squad and uh, the coach of the team decided that uh, I would be their, the proper choice and so I made the team my senior year and um, we won 16 games and I played a little here and there as a backup center and uh, um just had the opportunity to go to college and uh, the coach of uh, the college you know college that I was looking at Rockhurst uh, we played Rockhurst High School and Bishop Ward High School um, had a couple good players on those teams as well um, but in any case um, I kind of persisted and, uh, and it worked out real well for me as a as a collegiate player so so did you blossom late well, I guess you would say so. I, I went from 6'2 my sophomore year, uh, height-wise, to 6'5 as a junior, and 6'6 as a senior, and then I grew a couple more inches to about 6'8 uh, in college. And uh, I, I blossomed in the sense that I we had a great team my sophomore year in college. Uh, our school won the national championship in the NCAA uh, Excuse me, and not at NAIA. Uh, we played the championship game in 1964 at Municipal Auditorium in Kansas City, which was the same venue that one week later UCLA won its first NCAA championship with 
Walt Hazard and Gail Goodrich and, you know, Coach Wooden at the helm there. So, um, you know, we had a very good program at Rockhurst, and I was just very blessed to have the opportunity to play there for a couple of very good coaches. And uh, the coaches really, in, in high school and in college, really helped me to improve to the point that uh, I, uh, you know, my year averaged about 18 points a game. and as you said, was drafted by the Pacers that year. So went from getting cut three years in a row to, as you say, blossoming late, um, having the opportunity to play in college, and then for a couple of years after that. So so within the NAIA and Rockhurst College, I'm assuming it, it had a pretty good uh, uh, tradition of basketball before you played there, but uh, what teams did you guys play, and, and, and what was NAIA basketball kind of like at that point in time in the ba- in basketball history? Rockers that had a good program, uh, particularly in the, in the mid '50s, and the, the coach there uh, took that job in 1952, and he was there till 1965. Joe Bramer was the coach there, and he eventually uh, took the job at his alma mater, St. Louis University, 1965. Um, and we again, we did have some outstanding players. Uh, Nobody really played in the NBA. We had a number of people drafted by NBA teams at that time. Um, it's a small school, uh, similar to Regis College here in Denver, a Jesuit school. Um, there are other big, you know, there are like 32 Jesuit colleges and universities around the country, and a lot of them are very much more famous. Uh, of course, St. Louis University, and University of San Francisco, and Fordham in New York, and uh, University of Detroit, you know, a number of Jesuit schools, Marquette University in Milwaukee, mostly are, are big city schools. In regards to the NAI, it was uh, uh, many, many colleges, probably a, a bigger number of schools than the NCAA. Uh, as time has gone on, the membership of the NAI has dwindled, but the tournament, uh, which is being played now just like the NCAA, um, really was a big thing. It was held annually in Kansas City. And it was the best 32 teams around the country. Um, and they would gather in mid-March uh, to, you know, to crown a champion. Um, there were schools from all over the country. And uh, the year that we won the championship in 64, um, the team that had won it the previous year in 63 was Pan American University down in Edinburgh, Texas. Uh, the star of that team was Lucius Jackson, better known as Luke Jackson, for his NBA seasons uh, with the 76ers. Um, but we played Grambling University. Uh, Willis Reed was the star there. Uh, we played one, one game, actually a couple games, over a weekend down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, against uh, Winston-Salem State, Earl Monroe, Earl of Pearl. Held him to 26, and his uh, teammate, the other guard, Ted Blunt, also had 26. So unfortunately, we we got beat by about three points, but uh, we did have the opportunity to play Earl the Pearl in his home area. Um, so we did play, you know, uh, didn't really play much around the country. I mean, to go to Winston Salem one time, we played uh, out in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, the team that eventually became UNLV. At that time, it was known as Nevada Southern. Uh, 
and uh, we played out there in Las Vegas one time. Um, I think a big trip for us would have been Denver against Regis, but it was primarily Missouri, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas schools. Our kind of our arch rival back in those days was St. Benedict's College, which is now known as Benedictine University. It's in Atchison, Kansas, just up the road from Kansas City. So uh, that was uh, NAI. Really, was a great, great tournament. John John McClellan, who was uh, one of the first black coaches uh, at the pro level, um, and Coach Tennessee A and I with Dick Barnett and Dick Barnhill to three consecutive NAI championships. Um, he was he was a, a legendary coach, uh, and I think actually coached at uh, North Carolina Central before that. And and was Rock was Rockhurst your only um, was was it your did you just decide to go there? Were there, were there other opportunities or possibilities for you? But uh, and why did you choose Rockhurst? Uh, Rockhurst was the only school that had really shown any interest in me uh, as a as an athlete or as a student athlete. Um, again, I I played so 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 little in high school that. Uh, again, recruiting was much different in those days. You know, there wasn't uh, all the media uh, attention other than the local newspapers and, and all. Um, I had several uh, teammates who went to college for basketball uh, the same year, a couple of years that I did. One went to Drake, one went to St. Louis U, uh, one went to uh, Christian Brothers in Memphis, which was NAI. Um, the star, the big star of our team in the late 50s, early 60s was Gary Garrison, who stayed home and went to St. Louis University. Uh, but I, you know, I, I had looked at a number of schools just as a student, you know, just as a student. But uh, because we had played in Kansas City at Rockhurst, uh, the high school and the college shared the same uh, field house. And uh, a couple of years after that, the high school moved away from. Uh, to a new campus with a new gym and a you know a whole new uh, school, uh, but uh, I, I fell in love with the school, and uh, fortunately the coach uh, gave me the opportunity to uh, to come. He said, "Hey, if you come and you make the freshman team, we'll give you a half scholarship." And of course, half is better than none. And I liked the school anyway, and I really enjoyed the players that I met when I visited the school. And uh, so it was my one and only real choice, and uh, I have no regrets whatsoever about choosing Rockhurst. Ed, did you play any other sports in, in high school or in college besides basketball? I did not. I was I was a baseball player as a young man uh, throughout grade school and into high school, but, uh, you know, having... And I actually played one year of football, uh, which... Uh, you know, playing one season was enough. You know, I, I knew that I didn't want to do that. Again, I was about at that time about six foot one, playing on the uh, maybe grew up to six foot two. Played on the offensive line uh, as a guard uh, in high school, the B team. Um, but my real love, uh, in addition to basketball, was baseball, and I uh, really enjoyed playing that. And I think I probably gave up playing baseball when the curveball was uh, started to be thrown, you know, and I started bailing out on the curveball, you know. Probably the best player that we uh, 
had in our neighborhood, who not neighborhood, but in the town that went on to the pros, was Kenny Holtzman from the Chicago Cubs and the Oakland A's. Uh, uh, once once they started throwing that curve, uh, they started looking to the court a little bit more. <laughs> and I'm assuming you were, you were, or are you still a uh, St. Louis Cardinals fan or a, a different fan? Uh, I'm a very diversified fan in the sense that, yes, I grew up with the St. Louis Cardinals and, and to some degree my early years, the St. Louis Browns, who uh, left St. Louis and moved to Baltimore in 1953, uh, first season of Baltimore, 54. Um, I followed the Orioles when we lived in the Washington area because they were the only team that we had uh, and because of the Browns' connection. Um, but when the Nationals came to Washington and we lived in Virginia for more than 30 years, uh, I became involved, you know, as a fan with uh, the uh, with the Nationals. And um, the other team that I was very fond of in my college years was the, the Kansas City Athletics. And when Charlie Finley uh, chose to move them in '67 out to Oakland, uh, I followed them a couple more years. But then. The next year, after Kansas City didn't have a team for one year, they created the Kansas City Royals in an expansion. So I followed the Royals through the years. Um, a guy who played at Rockhurst High School that I played against in college and in high school was Steve Mangori, who was a pitcher for the Royals and in the, in the uh, Cleveland Indians as well. But um, I followed the Royals still. I have about three friends who work for the Royals now. And then uh, I've I fell, fall in love here in, in Denver with the Colorado Rockies who um, have been in existence from a expansion team in 93, but they built the Coors Field in 95. They've got a really loyal fan base out here in the Rockies, and um, they're kind of lost in the mountain time zone a little bit, so we're not the West Coast Dodgers Giants, but we're not the East Coast Yankees, you know, uh, and the Midwest, even Midwest Cardinals and Cubs and that sort of thing. So the Rockies are a fun team to watch, and I guess uh, I've taken a long time to say I follow four teams: the, uh, the Cardinals, the Nationals, the uh, Royals, and now the Rockies. Ed, what was your major in college, and and at what point or what you ended up doing with your career was was that something you were working toward, or did you have uh, uh, other uh, other ideas of what you wanted to do with uh, once you graduated at Rockhurst? Went off to college not knowing too much what I wanted to do. I knew what I didn't want to do, and uh, you mentioned earlier you. Were a history major, and that's that's what I that was my love. I loved history and studying and, and looking at the past and projecting to the future. And um, and again, Rockhurst was a small enough school that uh, uh, they had uh, history major it was a liberal arts college, so I took history every semester. The only, of course, I was an English minor, and uh, they only had one course in journalism, so I took journalism one and because that's what they offered. That's all they offered, and I and I really enjoyed journalism. Uh, kind of graduated uh, uh, to loving uh, not only history, but writing and journalism. Um, there was a year at Rockhurst. Uh, we had a very good team in 1966. 
the uh, the coach of the team asked me if I would consider redshirting a year, which would allow me to develop further as a player uh, by playing AAU basketball. You know, staying uh, not professionally and all, but you know, staying amateur. Uh, so I did that, and in the year that I was uh, a redshirt player, I was basically the sports information director for the team. I went, I practiced every day with the team. I went to all the games, and then when the game was over, I had kept my stats and everything, and I was kind of the correspondent with the uh, uh, with the Kansas City Star. So I would call the Star after home games and road games and make the report, and um, I really enjoyed that. And so, kind of, and I was the sports editor of the school paper and the, and the editor of the uh, college uh, yearbook. And so, that's kind of what got me into what I was doing. I, uh, in going to, you know, after my opportunity, my brief, very brief opportunity in the ABA with the Pacers and the Kentucky Colonels, um, ended up at Goodyear and uh, uh, ended up working in the public relations department. For Goodyear, and after my playing days were over, which was two years at Goodyear, I became the PR person for the Goodyear Wingfoot basketball team. So um, that, along with working weekends at the Akron Beacon Journal on the sports desk, um, that's kind of how I got to you know the opportunity to to look to a career in sports information. Now, what did you, were your mom and dad athletes also? And what your what did they do? Uh, my mom and dad were, were athletic, yes, uh, particularly in golf and in tennis, I would say, you know, kind of individual sports. Uh, my dad was a hardworking guy. We had, mom and dad had four sons. I was the oldest of four. Um, interestingly enough, all four went to college on scholarship. Uh, I went for basketball. My brother Mike was a football scholarship player at Kansas State. Uh, my brother Terry uh, got a scholarship at Lewis University up in suburban Chicago. Uh, he was a collegiate wrestler. He's in the Lewis University Wrestling Hall, or Sports Hall of Fame at Lewis. And my brother Pat, who, Pat, who played high school basketball uh, at CBC, where I went to school, uh, went to Missouri uh, on an academic scholarship, but he was on the track team, did high jumping, and uh, has parlayed that experience into at Mizzou into uh, a long career with the uh, Indianapolis Star as a sports writer, assistant sports editor, uh, the high school guy uh, for many years. He retired from the Star in 2008 and uh, uh, is now coaching at Columbus North High School and has won the Indiana Championship once and been the runner-up twice. So uh, we were a sports family. My dad, you know, would get home from work late usually and uh, play catch with the boys, throw the football around a little bit. A uh, little bit on Sunday. He worked on Saturday as well. Uh, and my mom was uh, a stay-at-home mom who made sure that all of her boys got to practices and games. And he, she made all the games during the week that her husband, who worked all the time, was unable to get to. So, um Really, a great family. My mom and dad, and my three brothers. So, did you have any idea? Or you, you know, you're, you're getting ready to graduate. Your basketball season's over. T- 
tell us about the, the 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 draft and what was it like back then, and and what was what were your thoughts, and 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 take us through that uh, uh, initial, you know, because that was the first uh, ABA draft from the Indiana Pacers. Chat with us about that. Well, it, again, it, it's it's become a, a real event now in today's world, but in those days, uh, the ABA really didn't exist as a you know as an organization i mean they had no they didn't have their draft after their season because they didn't have a season and so uh <laughs> my team my senior year uh uh we won we were we ended up the season 18 and 11 we went to the nai tournament uh, we were eliminated by eastern new mexico that year uh, they had a fellow uh that went on to play for the cincinnati royals for a couple of years um, so our, our season ended and, um, you know, I was, when, when you're done playing and you've played, you know, for five, you know, through five years of high school, five years of college, not, not on the team the one year, but redshirted, you know, you just go to the gym all the time. You play all the time. And, uh, so I continued my daily regimen of playing because that's kind of all, all that I knew. Um, and on a Sunday in early April, um, uh, I got a phone call one Sunday afternoon from the Kansas City Star saying, uh, just want to inform you that uh, you were elected today in the ABA draft by the Indiana Pacers. And, of course, I you know, I was shocked. Um, there were a number of guys, when you look back on that first draft, guys that I played against or guys that were from the Midwest that I remember, you know, as really good players. Um, and and I, I have, to this day, have no idea exactly how uh, you know I was someone choo- chose to select me um, I do know that the NBA uh, people the Red Arbox and uh, a number of others uh, Marty Blake from Hawks and, and other people were regulars at the NAI tournament because they that was again uh, I, I think I'm told that in those days, there was no, it was more a word of mouth. In fact, I can tell you that Sam Jones uh, was drafted by the Boston Celtics back in the 50s uh, on the word of a, a guy named Bones McKinney, who was the coach at um, Wake Forest. And Bones had played for the Washington Capitals for Red Arbach, and they had stayed in touch. And Red Arbach was told, uh, was given a call by Bones and said, you know, there are a lot of guys playing at Duke and at North Carolina and Wake Forest and, you know, other schools, NC State. He said, but the best player in North Carolina is a guy that you've never seen play, Sam Jones. And it was basically on that word that Red selected Sam. And, uh, again, uh, people would read the Street and Smith magazine and they would scout uh, through magazines. And, uh, and if they had the opportunity to go watch players play, they would do it. But it was just a different world at that time. So I can remember having been drafted, and I told my roommate he gave me a good laugh. And, uh, <laughs> I called called home, and, and my mom answered, and my, I said to mom, "Mom, I've been, I was drafted," and she said, "Drafted? You can't be drafted. You're over six six. You're not eligible for the draft." <laughs> and she was talking about Uncle Sam as opposed to the ABA. So uh, it was. You know, the next day the Kansas City Star had a paper of um, a list of, of not only the NAD, but I guess the first round pick 
for every team, but a list of uh, quote unquote local players or area players who were drafted. And uh, you know, there were some guys from the bigger schools, and you know, there I was tucked in with some of those guys. You know, they're having a big shindig in Indianapolis for the, I guess it's the 50th anniversary for the ABA starting. Um, and, and, you know, the ABA was around, I think, till what, 76 or 77. Did you, did you, were you kind of hesitant or what was, what were your, what were your steps that you took to, to go to camp? Did they have what they would call a so-called camp and, and what were tryouts and what, what was that like? Well, upon being drafted, I had had a couple of teammates uh, from previous years. One was Ralph Talcott, who was drafted by the Detroit Pistons, and Pat Caldwell was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. And so I um, asked both of them, you know, you know, you go to camp, uh, what would your recommendations be? And, you know, the first thing they both said was be in the best shape of your life because uh, everybody else is going to be trying hard and, you know they're going to be in good shape, and if you have, if you think you have any chance, you you better be uh, prepared to be in the best shape of your life, and also just be uh, flexible as to what you know whatever the coach needs. I had been a, a center my whole uh, college and high school career, and uh, at that point, in going to Indiana, there were all kinds of centers who were probably six eleven down to six eight or nine who. Um, had played that position at more major colleges and that sort of thing. And so I knew that I would have to adjust to being a forward. And, uh, um, and you know, that that certainly came to, to be. And, and uh, I went to Indianapolis um, for camp in June. Uh, we had a, a large class, you know, a bunch of candidates for the squad. It was certainly different than in today's world when uh, – you know, you bring bring in your draft choices and whatever, uh, 10 or 12 guys. But in this case, there were probably 50 or 60 players who were uh, not drafted, who were who had signed free agent contracts or whatever. And you had all kinds of people who were not just recent college grads, but guys who had been out of school two or three or four or five years. Um, and, and many of them from schools in Indiana, so they had a running head start on on their names and reputations and that sort of thing. So we met in Indianapolis, uh, stayed at the Merritt Hotel um, uh, on I think it was on I actually can't remember the I think it was on Meridian Street, and we went out to the Fairgrounds Coliseum. Um, the coach of the team was Larry Staverman, who had played in Kansas City for the Kansas City Steers in the American Basketball League. Um, but he had, I think, been an assistant coach after that with the, up at Notre Dame. He, he had two uh, uh, kind of volunteer assistants, one with the centers and forwards, and that was Clyde Lavellet. And the guy who worked with the guards was a guy named Slick Leonard. <laughs> and uh, as you know, as everyone knows, uh, Larry Staverman lasted about a year and a half, and Slick became... Uh, the head coach and, and you know and the rest was history in that regard but uh, workouts were uh, very intense and uh, some people um, were ready and some weren't and I was in the best shape of my life I think and I was really a great player for about a day or two and then when all the other players uh, really began to show what they could do 
uh, a whole lot more. Probably about the fourth or fifth day, I was uh, shown the door, and uh, um, you know, the big speech that the coach makes when he cuts not only you but probably another five or six or eight guys. So um, that was my Indiana experience. Um, I roomed at the, uh, you know, rode to practice with Roger Brown and Jerry Harkness and my roommate. Uh, they put us alphabetically, and so. Ed McKee roomed with uh, Billy the Hill McGill, who had played for the Knicks for a couple of years, um, played not only in the ABA, but several more years in the NBA. So uh, Indiana was, I was a one and done, and, or maybe a four days and gone, and uh, uh, was we were all alerted that there were other opportunities other places, and one of the other places was down in Louisville with the Kentucky Colonels, and I contacted the Colonels, as did a number of other uh, Pacer uh, rejects, I guess, and uh, <laughs> gave it a shot. We went. I went down a couple of weeks later to the Kentucky Colonels camp and um, really enjoyed that experience. I actually made the cut there in uh, in, in July and uh, came back in September with uh, not only all the guys that had been with us in July, but uh, people that they had signed in the summertime. And um, again, that camp in September uh, ended, you know, ended for me, and as the ABA was getting going, and uh, my second cut of the summer, and uh, spoke to a guy who I played against in college. I had Goodyear uh, and and Philip sixty six sponsored national AAU teams, and Rockhurst had played the Philip sixty six Oilers and. I spoke to a fellow named Kendall Ryan, who was from the St. Louis area. He played at Rice University and also played a couple of years um, for uh, the Phillips Oilers. And he had been signed by uh, as a free agent by the um, Kentucky Colonels. And uh, upon my being cut, I just asked his counsel, and I said, Kendall, I really want to continue playing. Uh, what would you suggest? Uh, as opposed to you know just giving it up and getting a real job, and he said, "Well, I would suggest you contact Philip sixty six and Goodyear and Act, and uh, because we've lost those those teams lost several players to the NBA and ABA, and they have to replenish their rosters, and so maybe there's a shot there." So I contacted both Goodyear and Phillips and spoke to both coaches and. Went to Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and to Akron, Ohio, and basically interviewed and and tried out for a job and for the team, and uh, was offered opportunities at both places, and made the decision to go to Goodyear, and that was a, a correct uh, correct choice for me, and uh, no regrets, and don't look back with any regrets about it. What was the competition like uh, uh, while you were with um, uh, the Wingfoots? And, and, you know, I, I found an interesting thing online. Um, somehow, someway, I found your jersey, number 14, that you wore for the Wingfoots. And, and actually, I was kind of like, man, uh, the, that I would have loved to have that, but uh, it was a size 40. I'm a 48. There's no way that jersey would have fit me. You must have been a, a, a slender uh, ball player. Uh, I, I was uh, I probably weighed about two thirty, two thirty five maybe, and I, I don't you know I'm actually I'm less than that now I'm probably about 
to 15 to 20. So, um, you know, I, I, in going to the Pacers, I mean, you, you, we talked about tryouts and all. Roger Brown made it. Jerry Harkness made it. Another, a number of others, uh, you know, made it as well. But there were Bob Nedelicki was there in camp from Drake University and, and, um, uh, a guy named, uh, Jim Ligon, Goose Ligon from Kokomo. He was a, a, a bit, uh, power forward at the time uh, he ended up getting cut there but he went down to like myself we went down to Kentucky and he made the, the Kentucky Colonels and played there for several years um, uh, Craig Dill was 6'11 from the University of Michigan uh, Bill Bunton was from uh, Michigan and he was probably about 6'9 was a real wide body uh, guy um, so there you know there were all kinds of uh the sizes and types and, and whatever and uh, you know I was a good NAI or small college player but uh, especially when you know, when you had to when I had to adjust to being a forward uh, with a real lack of quickness I could shoot pretty well but you know in order to get a shot you got to get a shot and uh, as a forward I probably didn't do that very well and again I played my entire high school college career with my back to the basket and I had to adjust to uh, uh, kind of facing the basket and putting on individual moves that I really didn't have very many of when you compare me to guys who uh, were natural forwards and played at bigger schools. And what leads you to Indiana State University? Uh, I was working at Goodyear in the PR department, and I was working weekends at the Akron Beacon Journal, and uh, I was trying to figure out my career path a little bit, and uh, I decided that I was interested in kind of returning to a college uh, situation. And so I, I contacted sports information directors at three different schools. One was uh, Ashland College, which was a Division three. That was Chuck Mistovich. Uh, he was the SID there. Um, I went to Akron University and I sat and kind of did a uh, just a interview sort of thing like what do you do and what, how do you do it and what do you like and what don't you like about your job or whatever. Ken McDonald was the SID at the University of Akron uh, which certainly had football and, and uh, basketball and all the rest. And then uh, Eddie Mullins was the uh, Sports Information Director at Kent State, which was a division school about 15 miles outside of Akron, and so I just kind of, you know, listened to what they had to say about their levels of of job and that sort of thing, and uh, I decided I'd like to kind of get into that business. And uh, I had met a fella in Kansas City um, who was with the old Kansas City Steers. And he had moved to Cleveland, which is just up the road from Akron. And um, he had said, well, you know, if you want to get into college sports, uh, kind of stay in touch and we'll see, you know, what we can do to kind of put you in touch. And he was the executive director of NACTA, which is the National Association of Directors of Collegiate Basketball, uh, Collegiate Athletics, NACTA. Uh, Mike Cleary was his name, great guy. And, uh, he, uh, I, I contacted him and said I'd like to, you know, go kind of continue to look for this college situation. And he said, "Well, I've got a friend who is the athletic director out at Indiana State, 
in Indiana who uh, has lost his sports information director, and he's going to be on the lookout in the springtime to you know fill that position. And uh, I'll be happy to uh, mention him, and mention you to him. And so uh, I put a resume together and sent it to a fellow named uh, Slim uh, Chalmers, Gordon Chalmers, who was being in 1932 in swimming, uh, but he had prior to Indiana State been the athletic director at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa, and um, so I sent a, a resume off to Gordon Chalmers, and uh, uh, he said, "Well, we're interviewing some people, and you know, we'll put you on the list and all that sort of thing." So um, that was probably in the winter of '71. Uh, and uh, in fact, it was interesting. Akron U played a road game at Indiana State. I can remember listening to the game on the radio, kind of thinking to myself, "Boy, this is interesting." I'm listening to a school that I may interview for a job with. And um, that came to pass. I came out to Terre Haute, was interviewed by Slim Chalmers, and uh, met a number of. of uh, not only staff members of the athletic department, but of of the university, and uh, uh, brought my resume and you know just did my interview and all that sort of thing. And uh, within about a week or so, he he got back to me and said that uh, I was his choice or their choice. And uh, at that point, we uh, began to pack and get ready to move to Terre Haute in the summer of '71. It's interesting, too, because I think Indiana State at that time was just coming off uh, building brand-new facilities also, right? No, that was a couple of years after, in fact. Okay. Uh, what they were coming off of in, in 68, um, the coach at Indiana State was a great, great guy, still there. I mean, not still at Indiana State, but still in Terre Haute. Dwayne Clee, uh, his, he had built a really good team from primarily Indiana uh, kids and everything, and he he decided that uh, the direction that Division One sports was going, and that's the direction Indiana State was going. They were looking to move from Division Two to Division One. Uh, was going to take more time and effort, you know, as a coach than he really wanted to give it. He was uh, he and Mary Alice had a, a large family, seven or eight children. Uh, he really enjoyed teaching uh, as as much as coaching, and so he stayed at school. Uh, he continued as the tennis coach in the springtime, but he gave up the basketball. And in '68, Gordon Stauffer came in as the coach of, of the Sycamores, and they went to the championship game of the Division Two tournament down in, in Evansville against Kentucky Wesleyan. And um, um, by the time I got there in '71, that was the that was the first season that they were going to be Division One, and uh, Gordon had a couple of good, you know, assistant coaches, Fred Fleetwood and and Mel Garland. Uh, they were both on Indiana high school all star teams, and 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 uh, Gordon Stauffer had been a collegiate player up in at Michigan State in the early '50s, and was a high school star back in Fort Wayne. Uh, so they really had the Indiana ties, but it wasn't until uh, they started to, you know, build the Holman Center back in like 72, 73 that 
uh, we kind of the team kind of switched its home venue from the ISU arena, which the first couple of years I was there was the home uh, venue and and was the home venue also for the women's basketball team later uh, over to Holman Center, which uh, went from a, a capacity at the ISU arena of about maybe four thousand, I would say, up to about ten thousand five hundred up at Holman Center. Um, so we watched it be built, and uh, you know, it was a thrill to open that building the weekend. I think of December of '73, we played uh, back-to-back days or nights uh, with Purdue University and with the University of Oklahoma. That was Alvin Adams, uh, the star of the Oklahoma Sooners then, and Purdue, of course, was Purdue, and they were always good. And um, I know Coach Stauffer took great pride in going up to West Lafayette, beating them on their home floor a couple of years before that. But it was always, um, you know, you come here to West Lafayette, we're really not coming down to Terre Haute, and things change a little bit in regards to that when Purdue uh, came down to, to visit us. And we lost that particular game, but a couple of years later got some good revenge. And I don't think uh, Purdue has wanted to play Indiana State since that embarrassing uh, win that Indiana State uh, did over the Boilermakers. Yeah, that was, in fact, I can remember when I was with the Pacers, uh, uh, one of our players was Jerry Seasting, who was a very fine player at Purdue, and and I know that Jerry became a teammate of Larry Bird's up with the Celtics back in the mid-'80s, and they were great friends, but at the time, uh, they didn't get along real well because one was a sycamore and one was a boilermaker. <laughs> Ed, you know, I, I have access to all of the, the media guides, and one thing that I notice is that once you get to that first year that you took over the uh, SID job at Indiana State, that the media guide was uh, I, was was expanded and what and it's so much full of information and stuff like that. Were you behind all of that, and how did uh, how you know what does it take to put a media guide together? Uh, first of all, I'll say regarding the media guide, uh, a key component um, in putting that together is having some history, uh, having some some photographs, and, and, and having some people who know the history. And, of course, I came to Terre Haute in the summer of 71, and uh, Indiana State was new to me, and, and, uh, and I, had to, I had to find some help. And uh, uh, a guy that... that was there in Terre Haute who had been had just recently graduated from Indiana State and who had worked uh, for the, uh, the ISU newspaper and, and I think was a volunteer in the sports information office was uh, a fellow named Andy Amy who still is in Terre Haute working for the Terre Haute Star you know all these years later he and I have become longtime friends but um, I, I had a little bitty office uh, they had taken a Coca-Cola concession stand and converted it into the sports information office, and we shared uh, basically that that stand with the uh, the head coach of the basketball team, Gordon Stauffer, his two assistants, and then they had a they had a wall in between their offices, and uh, I had an office with they had a secretary that when I took the job, uh, secretary was with me for probably about. And she decided, uh, you know, she enjoyed working for the previous uh, sports information director who had left to go to Purdue, Bill Linson, 
and she just decided that she was going to find something else to do, and so it gave me the opportunity to interview uh, some other folks, and um, I hired a couple of, you know, one one young lady as a secretary, and uh, in my nine years, I think I had three different secretaries, but we had no assistance whatsoever. There was just a one-man show with a secretary, but I, I did uh, I did find Andy Amy, and he was very, very helpful, and um, looking through old photographs, we we just took photographs, and he said, "This is, you know, this is this person, this is that person." He identified, you know, uh, just all the former players in all the sports. Uh, but uh, in putting a, a publication together, I, I had to have the cooperation of uh, of the athletic director to make it happen, and uh, we had a. The fellow who did the sports uh, on radio and on TV in Terre Haute, Channel 10 and WTHI, Bob Forbes, old-timers in Terre Haute will remember Bob. Um, he was our printer. He was uh, at Moore Langdon, the printing company in uh, South Terre Haute. And uh, um, I just began to put together uh, pictures and bios and history and stats and that sort of thing and uh, it, it was a gradual thing I mean it wasn't the 71 media guide wasn't terrible uh, and the 72 was great I mean it, uh, Bill Linson my predecessor was the first full time SID at Indiana State they had had part timers and whatever before he got there and uh, he just you know wanted to go to a bigger school and he moved up to the number two job at Purdue, and it opened the door for me to have the opportunity. And I'm for I'm forever thankful, you know, to him for uh, for giving me that opportunity by moving on. But uh, the media guides got a little bit better. Um, we had uh, the uh, the uh, photography department. Uh, they called them all audio visual department. Uh, they staffed a number of well, most of the basketball games, but other sports, and we dwelled here on basketball, but we did have a good football team. Jerry Huntsman was our coach, and, um, you know, when I first got there, we were preparing for the football season. Really, basketball was not the primary thought at that time because we had football coming up and uh, also preparing for school sports like uh, wrestling and gymnastics, which were both very, very strong with with Roger Council in gymnastics and Grace Simons in wrestling. So uh, we did our best to give attention to all the sports, not just basketball and football. You know, it's interesting. You're right. A lot of people don't know how uh, good of a gymnastics program Indiana State had. You know, you had Kurt Thomas, and then, you know, tell us how how does having something like a Kurt Thomas or a Larry Bird impact what you do for the university? Well, having a star like those like those individuals uh, makes all the difference in the sense of local interest um, and um, to some degree regional interest and you know when when Larry Bird came you know he had he had dropped out of Indiana and that whole famous story about you know he had gone home to French Lick and that sort of thing he had been recruited by Coach Stauffer and and uh, Mel Garland and Jim Jim Morris uh, to come to Indiana State, and he, uh, when he chose uh, Indiana State, or excuse me, when he chose Indiana, uh, I think it was down to three schools: Indiana State and Louisville and and IU. Um, but when Larry came, um, 
and Kirk Thomas, I mean, we had had good gymnastics teams through the years, men's gymnastics as well as women's gymnastics at Indiana State. But when Kurt came, it kind of took it up a notch because uh, not only was there more interest from Indianapolis and to some degree uh, Louisville, Evansville, St. Louis, and Chicago, um, but as time went on and, the, and they just kept winning and getting better, um, the, the great athletes like Larry and Kurt helped to draw other good athletes and it helped to draw media attention and uh, I can remember how the Indianapolis Star you know they never they never really staffed the games that much every once in a while if we would play a big name team they would come and staff it but primarily I think one of the key things that I convinced my athletic director was uh, is that we needed to invest in a little machine called a telecopier and the telecopier was basically a fax machine that um, you had in your office and uh, he didn't even allow me to buy one he said you can rent it and see how it works <laughs> and so we rented it and, and we would we would put together the game story and the stats and we would telecopy it to the Indianapolis Star and to all the other papers you know the Indianapolis News and the hometowns of our players uh, you know whether it be South Bend Tribune or you know the Evansville Courier um you know, just various towns, you know, the Kokomo Tribune, whatever. Um, and so with these star players, uh, they, they, the media began, began to be get, become curious about, are these guys for real or are these guys that good? And they began to come and, and discover us in person, not just waiting for a report to come in from, from Terre Haute because they didn't want to drive 75 miles. So, uh, uh, it was very important for with guys like Larry and Kurt and, and and in baseball, Wallace Johnson transferred from Seton Hall and came in and played played for Bob Warren. And, and you know, baseball transformed from uh, out uh, you know in the middle of a railroad yard uh, for all the guys who played you know in the '60s and '70s out there. Uh, they call it Val Field. Um, Coach Warren convinced the athletic department that they needed a to be more competitive and build a new baseball facility in order to get better players. And needless to say, that's happened. And, you know, it goes to the mid-'80s when they go to the College World Series. And still, Indiana State's very, very good in baseball. Ed, do you have any good Larry Bird stories for the audience? Oh, gosh, there are a lot of stories. I, you know, I mean, I, I remember uh, he and I flew to New York uh to do an interview with Sports Illustrated. Um, it was kind of a, a, a an interview with about five or six players from around the country, and Larry was one. And it was a, a photo session um, with with all the players together. And, uh, you know, we stayed at a hotel in New York, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's probably Larry's first trip to New York, so... We were both kind of starry-eyed, you know. I had never really been there either, um, so we we went to New York and, uh, you know, just uh, got a, acquainted with with the Sports Illustrated uh, staff and the photography staff and that sort of thing. And um, and then later in the uh, in the fall, uh, they were the Sports Illustrated was trying to make a decision on who they were. Uh, going to choose to maybe be on the cover and again they made a decision on Larry being the choice and so 
Larry and I and a couple of the uh, Sycamore cheerleaders were flown by small plane, propeller plane, up to Meg's Field in Chicago, private airport downtown, and went to McCormick Place and uh, did a full-day photo session. There really wasn't an interview per se. It was all photos, and that's where that first cover came from in 1977, and uh, that was was quite an interesting, you know, just a eye-opening trip as well. Uh, All the attention given uh, to the players and the cheerleaders and that sort of thing, and um, uh, there were, you know, just just ins and outs. Uh, we we the uh, Missouri Valley. We were new members in 1976. It kind of came in conjunction with uh, the recruitment of Carl Nix. I mean, he wasn't the reason per se, but Carl came from from uh, Chicago to Indiana State, and um, Bob King had succeeded. Um, Slim Chalmers and uh, as the athletic director, and and then became uh, the basketball coach, succeeding Gordon Stauffer. And it was imperative that that Indiana State get into a conference uh, because we didn't have an NCAA uh, automatic bid opportunity because we were an independent school. And the other schools, uh, people like Ball State and Illinois State, and uh, others were finding Ball State and. Uh, Northern Illinois went to the American Conference, and in, in Southern Illinois, um, other schools went off to the Missouri Valley Conference, and and so we found our way to the Missouri Valley, and that was important. Um, uh, I, you know, there there are you know, countless Indiana State stories um, uh, with Larry Bird and everything, but uh, you know, it's tough to kind of uh, you know draw a line and. Um, kind of share all those sorts of things. I mean, I, I, I do remember uh, what the year that he redshirted uh, Bob Forbes, who was Channel Ten sports guy and was good friends with the coaching staff and all. He would come to practice pretty much every day, and uh, you know it was amazing to to watch Larry and the uh, and the uh, the younger players, the freshmen, and all kind of scrimmage the the varsity team and of course Larry was on that as kind of a scout team because of the fact that he was ineligible that first year so um, the year before Larry became eligible I think we were 14 and 13 we had uh, several very fine players uh, Rick Williams who's a Hall of Famer and Jeff Shuck who uh, transferred from um, I think it was Middle Tennessee uh, or Tennessee Tech um, Rick Williams came Back to Indiana from Pepperdine, he was he was from uh, up in uh, Plymouth, Indiana. Uh, uh, Jeff was from Kokomo, um, so we did have a good team. But you know, Larry kind of put us over the top with his excellence and uh, his uh, ability to play and, and make everyone around him a better player as well. Ed, do you feel like if Indiana State would have won, would have beat Michigan State, that Indiana State would continue would would have continued success uh, and still and still be a power from that? Because you know, once Indiana State lost, it kind of it kind of lost the athletic department, kind of lost its luster a little bit. Do you feel like if we would have won that national championship, that things would have been different? Well, that's a that's a real hypothetical question. It's tough, really tough to answer. I mean, how how would all of uh, 
would all of not only Larry's I mean Larry was Larry and he was going to go on to greatness but how would all of our lives changed in that regard not only his teammates uh, but everybody at the university and the whole school um, it, that is a difficult question I don't really have an answer other than to say that um, in order to really be a major major and a big power player there you really just have to look to the major schools of today. Um, the good things that go with that, the bad things that go with that as well. Um, but it, it's a real 100% commitment from the university administration as well as you know from the athletic department. And um, you know we we were very very good at at that time in basketball and certainly in gymnastics. Um, and baseball got better and better, but um, as time went on, you know, we were we were in the Missouri Valley Conference in the state of Indiana, which was Big Ten country with you know Purdue and Indiana, and uh, and of course up the road Notre Dame, a national powerhouse. Um, so once Larry had moved on to the NBA, unless we would have gotten more great great players. Uh, we were always going to be, you know, we were not going to be Indiana. We weren't going to be Purdue. We weren't going to be Notre Dame. And really across, you know, just down the road, you've got University of Kentucky and University of Louisville, and you've got University of Illinois. I mean, they're all in really big conferences. And uh, uh, the commitment, um, financial commitment and philosophical commitment it was such that, uh, you know, they just weren't going to do that and sadly just a few years later uh, because of economic reasons probably uh, we had a national championship team in gymnastics and had a very strong wrestling program with a four time Olympian Bruce Baumgartner and Indiana State you know dropped both sports so you know in today's world they've kind of bounce back a bit you know with women's sports and, and adding some other sports but um, uh, I, I really don't know or how things would have changed if we had won that game in Salt Lake City in 79 um, I think it would have been a great victory and the initial attention for basketball for the university would have been tremendous but um, what we would have done, you know, in subsequent years, I don't know. It'll be tough to tough to really say. You know, Ed, as I go through the media guides, um, it seems like uh, every year, or every other year, you were you were adding a um, a, a a child to your uh, to your uh, biography in the media guide. Were all your children born in Terre Haute? No, our, our older daughter. Aaron was born in uh, 1969 in uh, in Akron when we were with Goodyear, and uh, when we moved to Terre Haute, that was in '71. Our second daughter, Carrie, was born in uh, May of '72 uh, in Terre Haute, and then in 1978, our only son, Eddie, uh, he was born in Terre Haute. So two two of three were born in Terre Haute. And uh, again, uh, our son Eddie was—he was born in uh, May of '68, so he was only a year old when we went on this uh, special journey to the Final Four and everything. Um, 
even though he was only a year old, he he's heard the stories many many times, and uh, and he feels like he he knows them all. But uh, it was our two daughters who um, were like nine and six who really kind of lived the experience with basketball, and both of them went to ISU Arena every Saturday morning to meet up with uh, the gymnastics team and go through you know gymnastics courses that. That the, that the team offered to the young people of Terre Haute, boys and girls. You know, depending upon which way the wind blows in Terre Haute, you could either A, not smell it, or smell the railroad tie uh, uh, <laughs> tarring business. Uh, how did you enjoy your stay in Terre Haute? Well, we loved it. My wife, Linda, um, she's a high school teacher and coach back in St. Louis, and uh she knew that in order to continue that career, she needed to get a master's degree. So she went to Indiana State and earned her master's uh, in physical education. And she started uh, uh, the women's or the girls' uh, sports program at Terre Haute South High School. She was the first basketball coach, as well as the first volleyball coach and the first gymnastics coach at Terre Haute South. And uh, so she was mighty busy on the south side of town uh, coaching the young ladies there and um, she was very supportive to uh, myself and to our family she was a do-it-all person uh, really uh, enjoyed you know her career in Terre Haute we met all kinds of friends uh, she was of course an athlete so she played golf and tennis down at Ray Park where we, we lived on the south side of town and met all kinds of many friends she was you know women's clubs and Terre Haute and everything um, our, our daughters got their start with uh, Miss Softball America uh, our one our older daughter Erin played Miss Softball America our second daughter played uh, on, a, on a boys um, little league baseball team um, and then our, our son of course was so young it was within a year or so that we moved to uh Indianapolis at that time but um, our daughter you know they they started playing youth basketball and uh, Indiana State was a wonderful place for concerts to come you know we saw uh, all kinds of wonderful concerts Uh, we saw Bob Hope once and we saw Chicago and we saw Sly and the Family Stone and the Carpenters were there and Neil Diamond was there Uh, so it was a you know before Indianapolis built a a huge venue. They would take concerts to Indianapolis, uh, and Terre Haute, and other sized cities. And, and uh, when they'd do a concert at Terre Haute, it would be usually two concerts in one night. Uh, they'd come out and do the concert at seven o'clock, and then they'd have the eleven o'clock one or whatever. And so, I, I know that a lot of Terre Haute people really enjoyed coming to the ISU Arena for that, and later to the Holman Center. Um, but we really did love Terre Haute. We made a lot of good friends. There, we're we're still in touch with a good number of people who not only were at ISU or in the media, but just were neighbors, neighbors and friends. And um, this year, my wife and I are celebrating our 50th anniversary, and we're we've got a number of people from Terre Haute that we're inviting out here to to join us. Whether they're able to come or not, we don't know. But uh, we, you know, we meet up with them whenever we can. We had lunch recently with fellow who used to be at Rose Holman and worked on Channel 10 in Terre Haute, Dave Piker, he and his wife had lunch in, uh, in Florida while we were down there for a week or so. So, 
Terre Haute was a very special place to us, and uh, we really treasure it. Was it hard to leave, or was the opportunity too big to pass up in, in leaving uh, Indiana State and going to the Pacers organization? Well, one thing I'll tell you, when we had our uh, our celebration banquet in 1979, I think it was probably in April, uh, they invited Billy Packer and uh, Al McGuire to the to the banquet as, you know, as special guests and everything. And I had worked with both of them during, you know, the, the, the run that we had, and especially during the, the NCAA tournament and the Final Four and everything. And uh, I received some advice from uh, Al McGuire. He, you know, he and his wife were sitting at uh, table with my wife and I, and he thanked me for all the help that I had given him and the other media uh, in preparing for Indiana State's participation in the tournament. And he kind of leaned over to me at dinner as we kind of looked at this huge crowd in the, you know, in the center, and and everybody was in the best of moods. All, and he said, you know, you have a great team here but this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I don't think it's ever going to be the same with Larry Long. If I were you, the job you've done, get out of here when you can. And, you know, I didn't really take it real seriously at that time. I thanked him profusely for his kind words. But I guess it did plant the seed that, you know, you're only as good as your teams are good. And, uh, when the opportunity uh, presented itself to to move to Indianapolis uh, with the Pacers, it was interesting. The day that I don't remember the date, but I do remember it was in December. And the day that I drove to Indianapolis to lunch with some people to discuss uh, my career and and uh, the Pacers, it was the same day that Steve Martin came to Terre Haute after having bad mouth Terre Haute like crazy saying the worst place in the world in the world was Terre Haute and, and the Terre Haute uh, mayor and the, the city fathers uh, decided that how does he know how bad this town is or how good this town is if he's never been there so they invited Steve Martin to come to Terre Haute and he flew in out at Holman Field and was uh, shown uh, you know the, the, everywhere in town and was interviewed by everybody, TV, radio, whatever. And at the end of the day, he he said uh, he said Terrell was a great place to live, and whatever. And I remember coming home from my day in Indianapolis, where I missed that whole deal, but I watched it all on the news that night and everything. So uh, I did. Uh, I think it was in early December that I was interviewed, I guess, by the Pacers and. Uh, took some time to think about it and just decided that uh, I could broaden my horizons and, and uh, opportunity for my family and and to uh, to take the opportunity to move to Indianapolis and to, uh, to have a new challenge there. And uh, I do miss Terre Haute and I miss Indiana State, but instead of uh, focusing on 11 different sports at Indiana State, I could I could focus on one sport and one team in Indianapolis, and that would have been the Pacers. And, and what did, did you enjoy yourself those three seasons uh, with the Pacers organization? Well, I did, yes. Uh, 
you know, we, my wife had to finish her master's degree, which she did at Indiana State. So she was, she was the first, the first summer she was down in Terre Haute still, uh, with the family. And that enabled me in Indianapolis to kind of get my house in order, uh, at the office and get acquainted with all the, uh, office staff and, uh, you know, the coaching staff and the, and the team personnel in the summer. Um, we had, you know, Bob Leonard and Jerry Oliver were our, our head coach and assistant coach. And um, the following year, um, the ownership made a coaching change and brought in Jack McKinney as our head coach and George Irvin. And uh, they were wonderful guys as well. And, you know, they brought their families and our families got acquainted. And uh, Jack had a great season. Uh, it was. Uh, in in 1982 was the NBA uh, Coach of the Year. Um, we went to uh, Boston for the annual NBA meetings, and Jerry and uh, and and uh, Jack was honored at the uh, coaches' luncheon or at the NBA luncheon as Coach of the Year. We made the playoffs for the first time in NBA history. We had been, of course, uh, Pacers had been a great ABA franchise and had won championship. Uh, three times, but um, when they joined the NBA in 76, 77, um, they made it very, the NBA made it very difficult for all those ABA teams, the Denver Rockets and the New, you know, the New Jersey uh, or the New York Nets and, you know, the Nets came in as New Jersey Nets and um, and the Pacers and, you know, so it was uh, kind of difficult for for those teams to be and gradually, incrementally, the pitchers got better. It was difficult at, at some point where uh, the ownership of the Pacers decided that they really weren't going to be too serious about going after free agency. Uh, that the team that Jack and and uh, Dick Bertlieb and, and Bob Salyers had put together uh, began to began to go away because of free agency. One, one player after another was being kind of wooed away from, from the Pacers to other teams that were willing to pay, you know, better dollars. And uh, so it was a little frustrating the last couple of years to, to be in the NBA, but to not be as competitive as we had started to be in, you know, the 82 season. And, and back when the first round was best of three. Yes. Yeah. We, <laughs> Uh, we had three game series, uh, went up to Philadelphia <laughs> with the Sixers in, in their glory, you know, with Moses Malone and Dr. J and, and Maurice Cheeks from Missouri Valley and West Texas State. Uh, we, we got beat up there, uh, on a, I think it was a Tuesday night because on Monday night in the same building, Indiana won the NCAA at the Spectrum. Right. Uh, we were, we were watching the game on TV, uh, as a, staff and his players together and after losing that game and after the Pacers lost their game there uh, we went back to Indiana and had, a, had our one shot at a home game and of course Sixers were just too good and we never got the game three so yeah it was, it was a quick in and a quick out for us that year but a playoff uh, uh, showing anyhow. Uh, Ed, tell us tell us a little bit about, you know, you, you decide to leave the Pacers and you go work for the uh, uh, Special Olympics, and then you head on to George Washington. Um, tell, us a, tell us about both of those experiences. 
Um, I went to Special Olympics in Washington because several reasons. One, I, I had a special needs cousin, uh, Tony, uh, who uh, I was very impressed with um, how active she was physically, you know, playing Special Olympics sports, bowling and track and field and, you know, softball and all that sort of thing. Um, but I had a, a fellow named Tom Songster who had worked at Indiana State for many years, and, and Terre Haute, Indiana State, was the, uh, the Special Olympics headquarters. And Tom had been recruited. He had done such a great job in Indiana. He was recruited by Special Olympics International to leave Indiana and to come to the national headquarters in Washington. And uh, so he and his family moved to Washington and got got the whole country more excited about Special Olympics. And he called me one day and actually was looking. Uh, he said, I'm looking for uh, a director of basketball. Our director of basketball has left. And, uh, and we have directors in various sports, winter sports, you know, skiing and, and uh, track and field and gymnastics and baseball and, and soccer and all the rest. And I'm looking for a, a basketball guy. Can you uh, kind of put your, put your thinking cap on and think of somebody who, who might be interested in, in uh, this, this challenge? And I told him I would. And uh, so I thought about it and continued to think about it. And I got back to him and I said, you know, I think I'd be interested in that. So, um, one thing led to another. He made reservations, and I uh, I made a trip to Washington and uh, met with uh, him and his staff and the executive director Eunice Kennedy Shriver and Sergeant Shriver. And um, one thing led to another, and uh, the opportunity presented itself to to move to Washington. And my wife and I thought, well, we absolutely love Indiana, and whether we you know, whether we do well in, in Washington or not, you know, if, if we don't like it up there, we'll just move back to Indiana. We can always do that. We're young enough. Um, the rest was a bit history. We moved to Washington and uh, took the job there. And um, I worked for Special Olympics for the international games they had in 1983 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I was kind of the liaison with the NBA. Uh, we had a number of NBA people come to uh, Baton Rouge and give up their time with special athletes and and do you know interviews and that sort of thing too. Uh, so after Special Olympics, uh, GW presented itself uh, as an opportunity. I initially went there as the director of sports marketing, but gradually kind of navigated into media relations and uh, athletic alumni relations and athletic development. And, um, we, we were at GW George Washington for 26 years and made many really good friends there and, and enjoy going back whenever we can. Ed, did, uh, so are you retired now? Uh, yes, I retired uh, in 2012. Uh, my wife uh, taken a pretty serious fall and had broken her leg and broken her hip and uh, we were going to have a lot of physical therapy and rehab to do and um, it was one of those retirements that I didn't really know was coming uh, but it just it just occurred you know I was 
on Friday I was I was on a trip, you know, out of town, and on Sunday of that weekend I had submitted uh, my, uh, an email retirement to the to the department, just saying that I had to uh, step aside because I had given the university 26 years, and I had now given my wife my full attention. So um, I probably would have worked several years more, but uh, in this case, timing was right, and uh, you know we stayed there in Washington from 2012 through the spring of 2015 when we moved out to Colorado, which uh, is much closer to our daughter and to our son and their family. And what does Ed McKee do in, uh, in retirement? Well, the last several years I've been involved with uh, my school, Rockhurst, which uh, as I explained a little bit earlier, I, I was actually graduated in 767, but would have been the class of 66. And uh, because of that, on the uh, reunion committee for the, the class of 66 and 67. So uh, myself and a number of guys around the country uh, tried to plan and execute as best we could uh, a reunion of, of former classmates from those years. Um, the I, I like reunions. You know, I love seeing friends from teammates and friends from back when. I'm I'm trying now to uh, convince somebody at Goodyear to help us put together a, a reunion of our Wingfoot players because uh, uh, the team was founded in 1918. This would be the hundredth anniversary of basketball at Goodyear. Unfortunately, they they dropped their sponsorship of basketball and in 1970 so we haven't really had a team since 1970 and um, that being said um, I would love to gather all the living members who are interested in coming to go back to to Akron and to to kind of share our stories and that sort of thing Uh, don't know how realistic that that thought is but um, I've been talking to a number of the players that I've been reaching out to some some have Indiana ties and and some are you know really all over the country. I talked yesterday to Jim King, who was on the '68 Olympic team, um, won a gold medal, uh, and is retired Goodyear employee living in Dallas now. And uh, he and I talked, and uh, I had lunch a couple weeks ago with a teammate from the University of Illinois who played guard on our Goodyear team, and uh, he's all for reunion. So we're and see what we can do. The other thing you had asked me some time back about baseball teams, I do follow the Rockies, and uh, I, I, I'm not a season ticket holder, but I do go to a number of the games, and, and uh, I have a lot of neighbors that are interested in the Rockies as well. So we follow all the other teams, but go see the Rockies with a lot of regularity. Um, I guess the other thing that I would say is that we give more time uh, in retirement to our children and grandchildren. Um, our daughter lives in Colorado Springs, and our son lives up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and he's got a couple of daughters who uh, are coming up the ranks, and you know, I think it'll be athletic one way or the other. Ed, what a wonderful life in basketball! I know we uh, we went about 20 minutes long. I thank you for your patience, but uh, thank you so much for sharing your story, and and I'm sure uh, uh, we're going to get a lot of response and a lot of enjoyment out this. I thank you so much. Well, if you've gone 20 minutes over, you can do a lot of editing, you know. <laughs> and 